0: Well, hey, good morning, Frontline. My name is John. I get to serve as the lead pastor down at the Center Church, part of our Zero Collective and Network of Churches down in Byron Center, Michigan. So I'm so excited to be with you. I hope you've had a really good summer. I want to make your summer better. I just brought you this special magical TV, and I'm going to leave it here for you. So it's my gift to you. Um, Very cool stuff happening at Frontline. Uh, I don't know about you, but my summer has been defined by a few things. Number one, eating a lot of good food. Number two, hanging out with a lot of family. And number three, a lot of time at the pool. So I don't have a pool. I'm in an apartment right now. We're in the house buying process, but I really enjoy pools that other people take care of. I love that kind of pool. It's my favorite kind of pool. And uh, so I've been down there a lot, but before we moved over to Byron Center a few years ago, my wife and I had purchased our first home. We were so excited. We. We're getting everything ready. We couldn't wait. And here's 7340 Smale Street over in the Detroit area. And we were just so pumped about this house. It was like a total God thing, how it came about. And we were so excited. But this house needed some deep cleaning, okay? The person before us had creatures of all kinds, and it smelled like it. So uh, we just cleaned everything. Uh, my wife is a cleaning ninja. She had solutions spraying in all different directions. And uh, we so we gutted a bunch of the stuff we touched everything in that house. We cleaned it or we ripped it out and replaced it. So it had some beautiful pink carpet. We removed it, had tile uh, all over the kitchen. It was just, it was a bad scene. Okay. All the laminate you can think of was in that home. And so we ripped it all out. We cleaned house and uh, it became a place we grew to love. Uh, That's me painting the beautiful real wood paneling. (laughs) It was a bear, but all that to say that was a big project. And you maybe have done some home renovations, and I know that one for sure would have made Chip and Joanna a little bit jealous. Like, they were, that would have been a great fixer upper episode. Like, it was incredible. Just a transformation. I remember walking into the house, though, and it felt like a different place. Like, six months later, after we had kind of worked most of the renovations down, and I walked in, it felt like I was in a different home. I actually liked being there and it didn't smell like cats. Like it was a good place to be. It was a good environment to, to have our family in. Uh, you've probably either done a renovation project similar to that, or maybe you're in the midst of one or you're doing an addition. And, and sometimes you just need a clean house. Like it just feels good to get stuff organized and out of the way. Maybe this summer was the first summer you parked in your garage. Because you cleaned house, or maybe even for you, it's uh, physically, you're like, man, I just need to kind of hit the reset button. I need to clean house internally in my physical body. And so you stop going to Taco Bell at 2 a.m. Like you just stop doing that. You're cleaning house physically. Uh, Maybe even for some of you, it's when it comes to social media or your devices or TV, and you say, you know what, I'm going to. Just hit the reset button on that. I'm gonna delete that app from my phone or I'm gonna watch TV for an hour a day instead of however many hours I normally do. Like You just kinda of clean house when it comes to your digital life. Now, for all of us, we probably have external things similar to that that we'd love to clean house, but even internally there are things. If we were really honest and sat across a table from one another, there may be a relationship in your life right now. You need to clean house. There may be some addictions or patterns or lines of thinking that, again, if you were honest and transparent, that you need to clean house on. There may even be parts of your mind that, that just anxiety, hurry, fear, depression, they just they creep in on the quietness of, your, of the moments that you have when you're alone. And it'd be really nice if you, were, if you were really asking, you'd be bold and say, I would just love to clean house on that stuff. I'd love to have a reset. I'd love to start over. And maybe you tried and failed. Maybe you've kind of put some willpower into it and tried to like muster up the courage to change some of those things in your life and ended up right back at square one. You're not alone because I've asked that question before. I've asked the question, why can't I change? You've probably asked that. It's like, I've got stuff in my life that I know needs to be different. Even things that maybe God wants to be different but I just can't seem to ever figure it out. Like I've, I've tried and I'm just not strong enough. or I just don't have enough willpower. I just don't have enough kind of oomph in my life to make it happen. And we've all wrestled with that question. I was hit with this question a couple days ago. I was looking at a picture of my wife, Lindsay and I graduating from college. Now I was excited for this day because I didn't think I was gonna make it, <laughs> but I was really pumped about this day. But here's the, the weird truth is I look at that picture of me, and maybe physically I look similar, but also spiritually there's some areas that I'm exactly the same as I was. That's alarming. Like there's some brokenness and some issues in me still that I still wrestle with and uh, I would love to be free of. I, I don't wanna be the same version of me that I was in college. I wanna keep growing. I'm sure that's your desire as well. Just by nature that you're sitting here, you're at least exploring that there may be something more God has for you. Now, we've been journeying through this series called Wars and Walls, and Nehemiah is a fascinating character. He's done some weird stuff up until this point, but we're gonna be in chapter 13 of Nehemiah. I would invite you to turn there if you have a physical Bible, grab something to take notes with you don't know what God may speak directly to you in this time, or pull out something to read along with it. But in Nehemiah 13, we're kind of following along in the story, and this is the very last chapter. This is how the book closes. This is how Nehemiah's story ends. And up until the verse we're about to read in verse four, Nehemiah had brought back out the Mosaic law. He brought back out kind of the covenant that they had made with God and was reading through the rules and regulations and guidelines God had given them. And they started to realize, much like David talked about last weekend, that they weren't always in alignment with those. That there was some brokenness in that relationship. There were some environment things that needed to change. There were some behavior things that needed to be readjusted to God's holiness and his righteous character, and they'd start to see that. One of the ways that pops up is in uh, chapter 13, one to four, you see that they realize, I forgot, that God didn't want us marrying foreigners. Now that sounds mean. Now I'm a dual citizen, but I'm Canadian uh, via my dad's side and my wife's American, so we would have violated this law as well. So we're all in the same boat here, but it seems kind of like an odd law, but really it was to preserve something. See, God in Genesis 12 had set Israel apart. He'd given them a covenant blessing, said, You're going to be a blessing, not just to one another, not just to your own culture, but to the entire world. I'm going to send you out to all nations. But here's a couple of guidelines to preserve that. Not marrying foreigners was one of them because they were mixing with other cultures that were worshiping idols and pagan gods and child sacrifices, and God wanted to keep them away from that. He wanted to protect them. And so he said, don't marry into those tribes. And what do you read in verse verse one of chapter 13? That's exactly what they're doing. They're going exactly against. And so let's pick up that part of the story in verse four. Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. He provided him with the large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests, But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. I want to pause there because when your boss leaves on vacation, your workplace is a little bit different. (laughs) There's some things you can get away with when the boss is gone. And uh, that's exactly what's happening with Nehemiah. Nehemiah finished this incredible mile-and-a-half-long wall project. He finished it in under two months with no power tools. Like, DeWalt should hire this guy. Like, he figured it out somehow. He, he pulls together this massive city to, to complete this project, and then he leaves. He's like, all right, I think we're good. We've rebuilt the wall. Spiritually speaking, I think things are looking up and to the right. And then he leaves, and everything goes into disarray. And uh, things start to fall apart. And one of those areas is you see Tobiah and Eliashib, two very weird names. But in Nehemiah 1 and 2, we see that these two guys are mentioned previously because they are mentioned in those chapters as disapproving of Nehemiah, disapproving of the work that Nehemiah was sent out to do. They weren't big fans. And so as soon as Nehemiah leaves, Tobiah, one of these guys decides, I'm going to use the temple this sacred holy place where God's glory is supposed to dwell. I'm just going to store my stuff in it. And so he takes out all of the stuff that was supposed to be in the temple and puts his personal belongings. It's his own like storage wars going on. He kicks out all of God's stuff and decides, I'm going to put my stuff in there. So he puts his stuff in there, which is obviously in direct contradiction to what God had told him about the temple. See, the temple is supposed to be a holy place, the place where God's glory dwells. supposed to walk into a service even like today just treating it like it's arby's or speedway (laughs) like there should be a difference when we walk into a place like this and we're worshiping god that's what the temple was supposed to be let's keep reading in verse 10 i also learned that the portions assigned to the levites had not been given to them and that all the levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields so i rebuked the officials and asked them Why is the house of God neglected? It's a powerful question. Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. Verse 12, all Judah, that's the state that Jerusalem was in, all of Judah, the surrounding area that Nehemiah was the governor, brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan son of Zechor, the son of Madaniah. Anyone pregnant in the room? No? Okay, there's some ideas there. They were made responsible for distributing supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God. This is Nehemiah. And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Nehemiah was set out in chapter 13 to clean house. He, he wanted to set things back right. He wanted to make sure that they were living up to the standard. And he learns about Tobiah doing this evil thing is what he says in verse seven and eight. I learned about this evil thing that Tobiah was doing. He was desecrating the temple. And that wasn't the only wall spiritually that was torn down. They were desecrating the temple. They had married off to foreigners. They, their worship and pastoral staff decided to take a permanent vacation <laughs> Like I love Brian Bloom, the lead pastor here, but he, if he left like for years and we're like, I don't know where he is, just permanent vacation, I think something's probably wrong. Uh, something's probably messed up with the guy. And uh, the worship and pastoral staff, these Levites and musicians, they decide, yeah, we're just gonna kind of ditch this calling thing. We're gonna go back to working in the fields. I prefer it. Like I like agriculture. So they just all go back to doing that. And the temple is now full of people's personal stuff They've married off into foreign tribes and foreign nations worshiping other gods. Their worship and pastoral staff is MIA. And then uh, to top it all off, they start working on the Sabbath. Again, one of God's standards, his guidelines was you need a day to rest. You don't just work and work and work and expect to have a life that's flourishing. You have to rest. You have to take a stop so that you work from rest. And so instead of doing that, they decide, yeah, we're good with that. Like as you read through the rest of chapter 13, they decided we're going to just skip that part and we're going to keep working 24-7. We're going to make sure we get our money. All of these walls that were torn down. See, Nehemiah built the physical wall and yet the spiritual walls continued to crumble. And the whole story of Nehemiah, again and again, you just see this rise and fall. He succeeds in one area and then starts to fail in another. And as a leader, he probably is confused. Like, why is this happening? I built this wall. I thought things were good. And then they start to fall apart. And I think he missed an important truth. That is true in your life, and Nehemiah tries to fix it on his own. He starts to realize it by going on a rampage, by kicking people's stuff out, and later in the chapter, he's pulling out hair and beards. Like it gets very weird in chapter 13. But I think he missed something that too often you and I miss, especially when it comes to sin, when it comes to the own brokenness of our life. And it's this that you won't change until you change your environment. You won't change until you change your environment. See, I've been in ministry for a while, and I've been in, in life for maybe a third of some of, some of you guys. Like, and you are, we all know this, that uh, you can have a friend who may be wrestling with alcohol, and maybe they even get to the place of saying, man, I know this is a problem. And you have that kind of heart-to-heart, come-to-Jesus conversation. They know it's a problem that maybe even they confess it or they pray to God, God, take this away from me, and they still go to Founders every Friday night. (laughs) Like, those things don't work together. Like the environment, you're putting yourself back into an environment in which you shouldn't be, in which you're gonna regress right back to the same negative behaviors and sin patterns as you have. The same is true of your workplace. I'm willing to bet that no matter where you work, maybe you've worked with a couple people for multiple years, And maybe they started as a really nice, kind, generous person, but over time the the negative environment of your workplace has just whittled them down and they became a different person. You don't even really talk to them anymore. You're like avoiding them anytime you get into work because the environment has produced something in them. It's changed them. And that's true of all of our lives, that the environment, the conditions of our soul really make the biggest difference. And if those are out of alignment with God's best environment, which is life in Christ, spirit-led, spirit-filled, free, generous, open to his work, we won't ever change. I love Benjamin Hardy just released a book on this. um, And he talks about the fact that environment will always trump willpower. (laughs) That's so true. I, I don't know. I think it's true even in our physical lives. Like if you want to get ripped and you want to start really looking like you're ready for the beach, then you need to get around people who are ready to go to the beach and who look like they're ready to go to the beach, right? Or instead of doing that, you can say, man, I really love to get fit, but I also really love McDonald's. So I'm just going to keep going to McDonald's. But I'm, I've got willpower, though. I'm going to just... Hope and pray that I get more toned and more fit and ready for the beach. You know that that won't happen. It's just logic. Environment always trumps willpower. And environment really matters. It can can set the trajectory of our lives in totally different directions. And today is a big day for me. At 6 p.m. tonight, it's a significant milestone in my life because the National Basketball Association free agency opens up at 6 p.m., okay? It's a big deal, all right? You may not be a basketball fan, but I grew up being a basketball fan. I played basketball as a kid and watched my favorite team, the Boston Celtics, do some serious damage in the league over my 28 years of life. And I was really excited uh, when they hired, or contracted, I should say, uh, one of my very favorite players of all time, Kyrie Irving. Now, Kyrie, in my opinion, is one of the best guards ever to play the game of basketball. His numbers are incredible. And just two years ago, won the national championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers, Boo, Ohio. But let's just skip it. Okay, so he won a championship. We shouldn't be that bitter. Um, Yeah, I don't even know where I was going with that. But so anyway, Kyrie Irving. uh, So he comes to the Boston Celtics two years ago. I was so excited, I could not wait. And I've seen the Celtics play over the years a bunch of different times, I was like, I can't wait to go to a game and watch this guy just go off. And he did, we got to see him play the Pacers a couple of months ago, it was incredible to watch. But something happened that I did not expect. See when Kyrie Irving signed the contract and started playing for the Boston Celtics a few years ago, the team got worse which really made me angry. I was like, come on, it's like the perfect marriage. My favorite player, my favorite team, now they're together, it's gonna be great. And then this past year was even worse than the year previous. Like The Celtics just got worse somehow. Their team started to fall apart and all of Kyrie's numbers continued to drop. What changed? What changed? His environment, the system, the team. See, Kyrie was a champion. And that's why Boston brought him. It's like, he's gonna make us more championships. We're gonna have more banners in the rafters and that just didn't happen. It's not that Kyrie was a bad person. It's not that he's mean or malicious toward the Celtics and is tanking them. It's that his environment changed. And that's true of our own soul as well. We could do all the right things and be the right person, but if our environments don't change, if the conditions of our soul don't shift, We will never change. There will never be that deep, life-giving transformation that Jesus offers to us unless we change our environment. And let's be honest, many times, we don't change our environment because we think we have the willpower, or we're strong enough, or we're nice enough, or we're pretty enough, or we're generous enough that we can kind of cover it up. But we're not. We are insufficient to change ourselves. We do not have the power that it takes to have a deep, lasting transformation in our lives. That's the power of the good news, It's that you don't have to change yourself. You don't have to figure out a way to muster up the willpower, to, to break yourself free of addiction, or to be a nice person, or to have an incredible marriage. Now, the beauty of the gospel is that you get to rely on someone who did that for you, and will do that for you. See, Nehemiah ultimately failed. We're reading the end of the story, and maybe the wall was built, and the city was a nicer place to live, but spiritually, those walls were still torn down. I think the point of Nehemiah, for being really transparent, is to point us to continuing to read in the story of the scriptures. It's not just to look at Nehemiah as its own thing, which is good. We've studied it for multiple weeks. There's so much here, but it points us to continue reading on in the prophets, people like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And you know what they didn't write about? Rebuilding a wall, rebuilding the physical walls. What they wrote about was the fact that Israel was not able to change itself. That nation, the people of God, could not truly be the people of God without one missing element. It was their heart, a new heart. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel just continued. Their prophetic message was, you don't need to just fix yourselves or, or change yourselves or just tweak your performance or make your body look a little bit different. No, you need a new heart. You need a heart transplant. That's the message of the prophets that continues on through the story of Jesus. Jesus would call out people that we could identify with called Pharisees, in which they knew all of the religious system. They'd been around church. They showed up. Sometimes they even tithed. But even despite that, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Their, their outside was fine, but inside the environment of their heart was rotten. It was dark. It was black. It wasn't leading to life. And so I don't know where you're at today. Maybe as you read through Nehemiah, you see yourself in a bunch of different parts of the story. Maybe for you, uh, this is your first weekend, and you're like, I don't know who Nehemiah is. I'm not even sure where uh, we fall in this story. But I bet you have a good answer to this simple question What needs to change? What in your life right now needs to change? Now, that could be something to do with your finances, it could be a spending habit could be a relationship, a marriage that you don't know what the future holds and you've tried everything. You've tried more date nights. You've tried uh, counseling and it just doesn't seem to be working. You don't need just a kind of tweaked version of your marriage. You need your marriage to be made new by God's Holy Spirit. Maybe in your life there's secret addictions. Maybe it's alcohol or or marijuana, or pornography, or whatever it is you go through the list, and and you've tried, and maybe it's even still secret, because you think, if I keep trying this on my own, no one will have to find out if I can fix it myself. You cannot fix it yourself. You can acknowledge that you have a problem. You can even confess that you have a problem, but until you change the environment until you ask God to break in and reform who you are and change the conditions of your heart, you will never really change. And I've seen this in so many of my friends' lives. I've seen this in my life, just the past few months, some areas of my heart that were so closed off to God that he started to just open up and to reformat my environment for him. The conditions of my soul have started to change Some of my rhythms and disciplines have started to shift, not because I just got better at my own willpower. It's because God is starting to give me more of that new heart and transform my life. And that's really, if you had to boil it down to two steps that you can take as a result of that, it really becomes that simple. And the first step, if you want to continue to gain ground in what we're talking about, is simply to ask. Number one is to ask the Spirit Cry out to God. He can handle your questions, your doubts, your fears, your inhibitions about surrendering to him. Let him in. Ask the spirit. God, I want this to change. Recognize your own dependence on him. See, everything in our world is pushing us and pushes us to be independent, to not need anybody, to not need any help, Whenever I have a tire that's flat, I don't want to call anybody. I just want to know how to change it on my own. (laughs) Whenever someone asks for money or or if I don't have enough money, I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to get more money. I'm going to raise more money or I'm going to uh, get a new job or get a promotion. We're just wired for independence. But that is not the story of the scriptures. That is not God's best for you. God's best for you in the gospel is that let me do it for you. Let me change you. Let me transform you. Why? Because he loves you. He's good. God is not angry at you. God is not sitting there wagging his fingers so angry that you're not free, so mad that your relationships are disintegrating. No, he just wants to give you a new heart. He wants to transform you. And that starts by asking the Spirit. And the second thing is really simple, and that's maybe why none of us do it is to take one practical step to change that environment. Now for you, if it had to do with alcohol or something else, maybe a little bit less trips to founders or maybe not buying a six pack at Meijer this weekend or, or maybe just getting some accountability in that area. Maybe for you, it has to do with the relationship and you know that that is slowly destroying your soul, and you need to cut that person off from social media, maybe you need to block them, maybe you need to delete them as a friend, I don't know what you need to do. Maybe it's a relationship that has not even started that you know is not healthy, and you know is not fulfilling for God's best. You just need to end it, get some accountability, yes, but take a step, work to change that environment and depend on him to do the real transforming work. And almost all of us, probably in this room, have a a regular job, somewhere that most of the week we're at doing something, whether it's engineering or working in IT or a teacher or a stay-at-home parent. We all have something we're responsible for. And I know as well as you that there are certain environments, whether it's work or other places, that seem to just suck the life out of me. And maybe your work is that. You just dread it tomorrow at at 8 a.m. or whatever. Like, you're just like, oh, I do not want to walk in there. Maybe you start to view it not as a place just to get a paycheck, but maybe your work becomes your mission field. And the environment shifts. You say, God, I want you to use me today. I want you to help me bless someone. I I want you to give me windows into people's lives so that I can really make a difference. Maybe you sit in the car and you worship before work or you... Begin to pray those kind of prayers. You'll see that environment change when you take a step. For some of you, and I'm so excited about this, so many of you are invested in a small group here at Frontline. And that is an environment in which you will continue to receive God's grace in your life. You'll go deeper in the scriptures. You'll have people around you who are praying for you, who want to see your heart be transformed and changed. And if you're not in a group, it's not too late. You can join one. You can get information this morning about how to do that. But those are environments that will shape who you are. Because just like Nehemiah, we ultimately, if we live on our willpower alone, we'll fail. We will succumb to our weaknesses, our idols, our friends, our spouse. Like, we will just give in. It's just human nature. And ultimately, what Israel needed was a Messiah. See, Israel didn't need just a Nehemiah. They needed a Messiah. They needed God to step in, to reform and change them to adjust that environment, to make them new. And that's the beauty of the good news. Jesus will never fail, ever. Now there may be circumstances in your life that feel like I I don't really know how he's gonna change it, but I know, if I know anything about following Christ, that he'll never fail, that he's good, that he's kind that he can do the miraculous. He can work in power. He will never fail you. You don't just need a better version of yourself or or a nicer body or a better social media following or more money in your bank account. You need a Messiah. I need a Messiah who gives us a new heart, who recalibrates actually the interior of our life so that we can live a new way, so we can find freedom, and that we would be streams of living water, not just to our families and our close relationships, but to the world. It would make a real difference. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes just as a way to focus. And I don't wanna manipulate you. I don't want to create just another emotional moment. But I do know that there's probably some people in the room who are kind of at the end of their willpower Say, I have tried so hard to change myself, to better myself, to free myself, and I just can't do it. And, friends, if that is you, you're in the very best place for God to really change you. Because when you come to the end of yourself, your dependence on someone greater, someone far more powerful than you, to take over. So I don't know. I don't know what your addictions are. I don't know all of your names and your stories and your background. But I do know that God can speak into exactly the situation that you're wrestling with right now. And I believe His Holy Spirit is good and, and kind. And will step into that space with you. If you kind of know that there's something like that, that you're just like, I've tried and I can't change it. And I'm at, I want the Holy Spirit to come in and change it. I would love to pray directly for you this morning to partner with you in that ask. And so if that's you, just real quick, no one looking around, just throw up your hands super quick and I'd love to pray for you. Yeah, hands all over. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for being courageous. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that in your Presence, there is freedom. Thank you that you don't withhold anything from us, but you love us without reserve. You do the impossible. You build our faith. You teach us new ways to live and to think about our world. And I just pray specifically for those people that raise their hand today that know I am at the end of my personal rope. God, we uh, we just ask that you would step into their life, that your Holy Spirit would flood their soul, that you'd change the environment of their life, of their own spirit. And I pray that you'd give them a new heart. You'd give them a new perspective. You'd refresh them today, that they would tap into the living water you provide. God, I pray for the person in the room who maybe has no relationship with you right now, who's asking questions, who's curious, who's doubting, who's maybe anxious that they're even sitting in this room. And I pray today you'd meet them with your grace, that you'd meet them with your loving kindness and show them Christ. We love you and we pray it all in Jesus' powerful and beautiful name. Amen. Amen.